So, how are we doing on this fall morning? Everybody's in cozy clothes. Anybody got their pumpkin spice latte already? Irene? Is that what you're drinking? Oh, okay. Thanks, Patina. You know, right before I got up here, Mark and I were talking about how he's got some fuzzy boots at home that he likes to wear, but he didn't want to get them dirty, so he didn't wear them today, which I'm really disappointed because we could have just psychoanalyzed that for a good hour. For those who don't know who I am, my name is Jacob Dolezal. I am one of your deacons here at Pierce Point, and I run the kids' ministry in the back. And if your first thought was, wow, I better be praying for that guy, please do. Uh, I love your children dearly, but uh, man, there are some Sundays where I don't even re- remember my name after being back in the preschool classroom. So you guys are stuck with me this morning. The Frank Hauser tribe is at a family reunion in Tennessee, and that sounds like a lot of fun, especially the time of year, and I'm sure it's beautiful, but let's stop being jealous because that's not what I'm talking about today. No, today we're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. We're going to be discussing what we've been talking about as a group on our Tuesday leadership meetings. And there's this overwhelming theme throughout the book that I thought would be a really good topic for us to talk about. Now, this isn't going to be an in-depth analysis of the entire book. It would take way too long and too many Sundays, and I only get one. And you guys have to make it to breakfast, so... Uh, we're going to just be looking at an overall theme that Paul shares throughout the entire book, but focusing on the last three chapters. Now, before we open our Bibles or Bible apps, there's something that I need from all of you. And this is something that Dylan, the youth leader, and I have dreamed of for about a year now. It was a year that we first proposed this idea. And this is the first time that it's actually made sense to do it. Now, it won't make sense to you guys right now, but later it will. So we are going to do the wave. We're going to start. Kayla, I need you to start it. We're going to go all the way over to Brittany, all right? Please, I believe. We have enough young people that I think we can do it today, all right? All right. Go. Woo! You don't have to make the noise. Let's go. Yeah! Thank you. You know, online people, you don't understand how awesome that really was. I'm sorry. (laughs) Don't worry. I have a purpose, but we'll get to that. So we're going to be going through the last three books of Ephesians, chapters 4, 5, and 6. But before we do that, it would be a disservice for me if I didn't somewhat quickly cover the ideas that are talked about in the first three books of Ephesians. We're always talking about context, context, context. So as I mentioned earlier, this is a, this is a letter that is written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And here's a first interesting little piece of information that we learned is that in very multiple early manuscripts, there, it does not include that this letter was written to Ephesus, more as a general letter to all believers. Uh, at the time that Paul was writing this letter, he was imprisoned in Rome. This goes along the same time frame as when he was writing Colossians and Philemon. Paul begins Ephesus by recapping the wonder of God, presenting this beautiful rendition of the gospel Reminding of those who are reading the letter just how wonderful the God they serve is. 
in chapter 2 of Ephesians is something that we'll touch a little bit more on later, but the general theme is that he talks about God's grace to those of us who were saved into his mixed family, Jew and Gentile. And Paul, in chapter 3 is Paul's own humble acknowledgement of his role in Christ's kingdom. He tells us, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light, which is the administration of the mystery of the ages that would be hidden in God who created all things. That's Ephesians 3, 8 through 9. So without further ado, we're going to go into Ephesians 4. Now it's not going to be on the screen, so you're going to have to actually look at it or listen to me. Maybe you'll have some better notes afterwards or some pointers for me. All right, we're going to go verses 1 through 6. Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, who is over all and through all and in all. There's an awful lot of ones in that passage there. But it points to the main idea that we see conveyed throughout all of Ephesians. Unity. Unity among believers. Paul begins by reminding us that we have, what we have been called to as believers. Humility, patience, gentleness, showing tolerance with one another and being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It takes effort to be, for us to be united. Did you realize that? You'd think that since we're all serving the same God and we are all called to love one another, that we'd get this idea fairly quickly. Yet, this is an idea that Paul talks about many times throughout the epistles. So let's look at how Paul reinforces this idea in the second half of this verse, in case we don't realize that we're supposed to be unified. There is one body that would be the body of Christ or his church, and one spirit, the Holy Spirit. Just as you are also called in one hope of your calling, that would be we just be saved through Christ. One Lord, the one Christ that we all serve. One faith, faith in that Lord. One baptism openly declaring of that faith. One God and Father, the almighty loving God that we serve, who is over all, through all, and in all. All these ones are to remind us just what we have in common, not only with each other, but with other churches of believers. We're all serving the same God, so we are, so often we let details dictate to us how we are united with others, when really it should just be a collective. Now some of you may be thinking, well, with unity, doesn't that come with uniformity? That's not the case. So let's continue in Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 16. But to each, of you, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and gave them gifts to men. Now this expression, he ascended, 
What does it mean except that he was also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to build up the body of Christ until all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be called children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are grown in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for building up itself in love. Christ gave us each different gifts, but we already know this, though, as evident as how I have different people that serve in Kids Point versus the people that Adam has come up here and sing for you, or even run the pro presenter. Then we see these special roles that Paul lines out. But they're special because they have, they're all pointing to a specific purpose. We see that in verses 12 and 13. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belonged to the fullness of Christ. See, this special role is to build up the body for that unity. It's calling us all to maturity. Paul talks even greater importance of how we each have our individual roles when he's talking about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For even as the body is one and yet many parts, all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, more ones. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether free or slaves, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If a foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And then if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any less a part of that body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed members, each one of you, in the body just as he desired. If we were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I got no need for you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem weaker are necessary, and those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on, we, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and the less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas more presentable members have no need for it. But God has so composed the body, giving the abundant honor to that member. Here we go. This is the important part. So that there be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all members rejoice with it. This brings me to the wave, 
that we had earlier. The wave doesn't happen unless we all do it together. If Brittany started at the same time that Jerry did, it wouldn't be a wave. It'd just be a bunch of people standing up and raising their hands. That's not cool. <laughs> Everybody has their role to play. So now why would Mark be, why would Mark? I got Mark on the brain. <laughs> oh, pray for me. Uh, now, why would Paul be making such a big emphasis on unity and maturity of the body? Well, he tells us in this passage, so that we would not be tossed and turned by deceitful scheming. People try to get in the way of the body of Christ being united. Now, I have this group of guy friends that I've been friends with since high school, and we like to do a lot of team-oriented things, whether it be sports or video games. And sometimes, because of that, those long-tenured relationships, we kind of get distracted in the midst, and everything starts to go to crap. So I started quoting uh, this quote from Planet of the Apes. Not like the one where there's real people dressed as monkeys, but like the CGI monkeys. Caesar, who is the main really smart monkey, he just, he's trying to get the other monkeys to like group up with him to take down the humans. And he's like, apes together, strong. He doesn't say it, he signs it, but that's what I imagine he sounded like. <laughs> so now, this is a common phrase that we say to one another while we're in the midst of, like, got apes together, strong. Like, we don't need to coordinate. That's all we need is apes together, strong. But it works here as well. Christians together, strong. Silly, I know, but what did you expect from a kid that, guy that works with kids all day? <laughs> the point still stands and the message is still true. Together, united, we are able to hold fast against the things that mean us harm. But we're going to talk more about that later because Paul talks about that. So let's continue on in Ephesians. We're going to go 17 through 24. So I say and affirm together. So, so this I say... And affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality. I'm sorry, I can't read right now. For the practices of every kind of impurity and greediness. But did you not learn Christ in this way? If you indeed have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you, will be, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and truth. So here's where we go back to chapter 2 in Ephesians for a little bit. In chapter 2, Paul describes how we've all been saved from our past transgressions to save to this new family of God. He also talks about how in this family it will be mixed of Jews and Gentiles. And he puts this description of Gentiles that we would miss from our day because we don't, we've always been after the promise. He says in ver chapter 2, verse 12, remember that you at that, 
Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. See, Gentiles before this adoption had nothing in terms of promises, in terms of hope. We see how they longed to it by trying to serve false gods, false idols. So the meaning and depth of being accepted by the one true God cannot be stated in terms that we can really comprehend. When this is, with this in mind, let's look again at the verses that I just read, 17 through 24. Paul reminds the Gentile believer, which would include us, that we are no longer like that old way of thinking. We now know God and are no longer called to have a hard heart. We're to leave behind the corruption of our flesh because we have been made new. Guys, when we are become believers, we're reborn in Christ. Those old selves are gone. So we don't have to keep going back to the old ways that we did before. We get to reflect the image of God that we were intended to from the beginning. Now we're going to finish out chapter 4. Going to go 25 to 32. Therefore, laying aside falsehood and laying aside falsehoods, speak truth to one another with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is as good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but by whom you were sealed on the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, Paul's laying out things that the old self has done and giving them like a replacement behavior. You know how when someone stops smoking, how they'll start, they'll pick up a new habit like chewing on a toothpick or eating candy or chewing gum, something sort of like that. These things seem very obvious to us, but that doesn't change the need for us to hear them and know them. Be angry, yet do not sin. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth but only a word that is good for edification. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other. All these things help us to become more mature believers. And guess what's easier when people are mature? Unity. You know, by the end of today, I think you guys are really going to get... People are going to ask, so what would you learn about today? Unity. Anything else? No, unity. That's it. That's, that's what I hope is the end goal by the end of this day. So we're going to go to chapter 5. We're going to go verses 1 through 14. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us in offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Fragrant aroma. But immortality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. 
For you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one who deceive you with empty words, for, the, for because of these things the wrath of God comes again upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord, do not participate in unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is great disgraceful even to speak of things which are done in secret, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that, is, that becomes visible is light. For that reason, it says, awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and the Christ will shine on you. This is a continuation of, as Paul is doing, of who we were to who we are now, or who we're called to be. It refers to us believers as children of light. Now, without Christ, we're just darkness, and the things that we did were in that darkness. What happens when you turn on a light? Everything becomes visible. You can actually see what is happening. You can see what, just how your actions, what they were causing and what you were actually doing. See, another fascinating thing that we see is the contrast to this children of the light in these verses. And they're referred to as sons of disobedience. These are people who do not know God and have no claim to his inheritance and his kingdom. But this is who we were, guys. Before we submitted ourselves to Christ, we were sons of disobedience. And throughout this adoption, we become children of light. I'm saying this because this shouldn't make us feel any greater than those who do not know God. It should actually give us hope. Thanks, Britt. It should actually give us hope because we know that if we were changed, then God can do amazing things in them as well. Now, you may be thinking about how this whole verse and light thing, that we should expose things that we weren't that we weren't supposed to be doing, then you were right. But it says, but let's say that if you were doing something in darkness and then all of a sudden you turned on the light in the room and you're doing it with others, not only are you seeing how that action is actually with the light, but so is that other person. So this is not a calling that to shame those who are in darkness, but an opportunity for us to reflect the light into the darkness. It's calling and reminding us that what we are now versus what we were before. The scripture is reminding us not to go back to our former vices because it's no longer us. We are no longer darkness but children of light. Let's go back to chapter 5, we're going to go 15 through 21. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody of your heart, always giving thanks to those, always giving thanks of the things for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of the Lord. 15 starts out with warning about making the most of your time. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I am not the best at managing my time. It's something that we need to 
all work on. Unless there's a, a time master in here, then we should talk afterwards. I'd love some tips. Now, then he says, do not be foolish, because, but understand the will of the Lord. Now, what would the will of the Lord be? Well, we have to go all the way back to chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, which are the verses about all of us becoming mature and united believers. Paul then says, don't get drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And what are we to do? Worship God, speaking to each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, giving thanks to our Father in heaven, and lastly, being willing to subject ourselves to one another. The last piece here is what I want to focus on, because even though it's the last verse here, it's really our subject for the next couple passages. Being subject to one another. Now, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to read chapter 5, verse 22 through 33, or chapter 6, verse 1 through 9, but I'm going to summarize it. As it really speaks well to our theme of unity today. So in these verses, Paul gives us descriptions as to how we are sub to submit or subject ourselves to one another in the relationship between a husband and a wife, parents and children, and slaves and masters. Now, Dwayne, you guys all know Dwayne. He was up here last week. He did a great job. Good job, Dwayne. Dwayne point. Oh, yeah, let's, let's give Dwayne a hand. And because I'm about equal embarrassment, you know, yesterday was Miss Debbie's 21st birthday. So happy birthday, Miss Debbie. <laughs> so Dwayne brought up a great point when we were talking about these verses on Tuesday that helps gives us a little more insight when we're looking at them as to why Paul chose the relationships to cover that he did. We must remember that this letter would have been received and read in like someone's house. And so it would have been among a small group of believers. And among those people would be husbands, wives, parents, children, slaves, and masters. So these passages of scripture, Paul, des Paul describes this relationship between a husband and a wife as Christ to the church. He tells wives to be subject to your husbands as Christ subjects himself to the church. Then to husbands, he, Paul turns and he says, love them as Christ loved the church. Now, how did Christ love the church? By laying down his life for her. He calls husbands to love and lead in a manner that would allow wives to be shown in their glory. We got another little gem that was a combo of Dwayne and MJ. that We were talking about how this relationship can be described as a waltz. You know, someone leads and someone follows. But most of the time, if the leader is doing their job correctly, the follower is the one who gets the twirl and that gets to be shown off and all their glory. Paul also calls husbands to love their wives as their own bodies, because in verse, because, verse 29, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Now, I love in these verses how Paul's just like, wives, be subject to your husbands as so the Lord. And he knows, like, okay, they're going to get it. They understand. He's like, husbands, all right, let me spell this out for you. Because, guys, let's be honest. We need a little more uh, direction when it comes to things. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next, he turns to children. And he reminds children to obey their parents and remind them to honor the father and mother commandment. Then Paul turns back to men. 
and calls fathers not to provoke their children to anger, but to bring them up in discipline and instruction in the Lord, showing them how to live their life for Christ. To slaves, Paul says, they should serve their masters as though they serve the church, and to be good service simply to be, and not to be, not to give good service simply to be pleasers of men, but do so because they are following the will of the Lord. To masters, he says, to treat the servants in the same manner and not to threaten them, because a reminder to the master that their master and your master are both in heaven. Now we get to the last couple verses. You've made it. You've made it, baby. You've made it. We're going to go to Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. If any Bible man fans are here, you'll remember this verse. Now finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Mark, go get the kids. You got, most of you guys recognize this verse, uh, the armor of God. And to be honest with you, when I first read this, I thought, why in the world is Paul putting this here? It feels a bit random and a bit out of place. But I guess he wanted to make sure, like in a PS, how you, when you're writing a letter to somebody, like, oh yeah, last thought before I forget. But as I've read through these chapters more and more, I totally understand what Paul is doing. He gives us these little tidbits throughout. So Ephesians 4, 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves carried about in every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. And then in Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. See, as we aspire for unity and to be a group of united believers, things and people will try to stop that. This is even more reason for us to aspire to be mature believers, to be able to spot when that is happening. So why do we put on this armor of God? So that we'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Then we get to the verse that I think I've heard it the most repeated to me in my life. And it's not by any... Uh, pastor or teacher, but by my father. The verse is, our struggle is not flesh against blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. I am a protective per. So I am a protective person. I thought that was part of the scripture. It's not. It's what I wrote. <laughs> so I'm a very protective person. And so when someone that I love is wronged, my initial reaction is to verbally accost the said person that has done the wrongdoing. But I don't do that. Most of the time, my parents just get to hear me vent about 
said individual or the action, and my dad's just sitting there going, you know, it's not flesh against flesh. I'm like, dang it, Dad, stop bringing me back to my humanity. (laughs) But guys, we're in a spiritual battle. And all we want is to be able to stand firm and be united. I can only imagine how the world would react to see a big C church that was truly full of mature and united believers. Imagine what we could do. How does this apply to us today? Well, guys, let's work on becoming a group of more mature believers. I think as a whole that we've been doing a great job lately. And so let's just keep pushing forward. Our goal here is to be the united church and family that God has called us to be. So put on your armor of God and come and stand with us as we face the enemy. Remember, unity. Apes together, strong. Christians together, strong. Let me pray for you. Dear God, I thank you for this group of believers. I thank you for Paul being able to communicate this letter, not only to them, but to us now. I ask that you just unite us, Lord, in the way that we have been called to, that you would change our hearts to face more and more like you. I'd ask that you'd bless this day and thank you for the opportunity to come and share your word. Son's name I pray, amen.